Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. An audio-only version of the Intentional Encourager podcast, but a good one. Um, I have known this guy for close to 30 years. He is the beat writer for the Carolina Panthers for the athletic of the national football league. Now the athletics, not a national football league product, but he covers an NFL team and it's pretty good. We're going to talk about the NFL and we're going to talk about life covering an NFL team, but I want to tell Joe's story and you can connect with him on Twitter at Joseph person. But you can find him right here, right now, on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Joe Person is my guest. Joe, how you doing, brother? Good, buddy. I guess I, I feel like I should explain. I, I would be happy to share my my ugly mug with your with your followers and your viewers. But I am in uh, the car driving a couple fourteen year old boys to a travel baseball tournament in Raleigh, North Carolina. So I appreciate you accommodating our schedule and, and doing this audio only. Well, listen, man, um, I, I'm wearing a Marshall shirt. So if I turn the green screen on, all people are going to see is my head. And I've got a little <laughs> eye problem this morning. So I'm, I'm wearing my glasses. So it's probably a good thing that we're audio only today. But uh, <laughs> Joe, I, I wanted to let, let's talk about the last 16. Let's start here. Let's talk about the last 16, 17 months or so. Before COVID hit, you guys in Carolina, the, the Panthers hired a new head coach in Matt Rule. There were a lot of things moving in, in, in the right direction. People were just gearing up for a typical NFL season, and then everything just shut down. Take me through what the last 16 or 17 months has been like, not only for you professionally, but personally as well. What, what, what's happened in your world around COVID-19? Yeah. So, you know, it seems like we all have stories, right? Like in our, in our generation always will, like, where were we when the, the world shut down? And yeah, I remember it was like a weeknight, right? The NBA game was on the stuff with Rudy Gobert, but I was scheduled to go down to Palm beach, Florida that week for the NFL owners meetings, which is, uh, usually a good chance to, in this case, uh, spend some new time or spend some time with the new coach, Matt Rule, who had just been hired, uh, spend some time with the relatively new owner, David Tepper, and just, you know, kind of get your pulse on what's going on around the league. Well, of course, that didn't happen. This year's owners meetings was virtual. I mean, everything, right? So, it was a real challenging year for everyone, right? But 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 you, you since you asked about me, I was covering a team that had an entire new coaching staff. They had blown out the locker room to include Cam Newton, Luke Keekley retired, all this, all this Greg Olson went to Seattle, all this change, and I, here here here's probably the best way I could describe it. Teddy, I covered Teddy Bridgewater for an entire offseason and season, 
and never spoke to the man in person. Wow. Uh, and, and, and it, it was just a challenge. You know, I, I still, I'm still trying to get to know the new coaches, but, uh, listen, it could be worse. I, I'm writing and, and talking about sports and football for a living. So I, I'm grateful to be kind of on the other side of this and returning to some semblance of normalcy. Joe, the, the life of an NFL beat writer, you travel with the team. And now this year there for the NFL season, there's a 17th game. So, and so for those that, that are not real NFL savvy for, for as long as we can remember 40 plus years, maybe longer, they played a 16 game regular season. You have four preseason games. If your team was selected to play in the hall of fame game, then you played an extra game. So you would have five preseason games. If you're playing the hall of fame game. And then the, um, the regular season, a 16 game regular season. Now it's a 17 game regular season with three preseason games. You would have traveled eight times last year. What was it like covering road games virtually for you? Did you get to travel as normal or was everything done for you virtually um, from Sunday to Sunday? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, we were at, about first about the games. We decided that we would try to go to their first couple of away games because they were close to Charlotte. They went to Tampa in week two, which happened to be Tom Brady's first home game as a as a buck and then uh they i think the panthers were in atlanta week four so like let's go let's see what it's like and see if it's worthwhile well buddy let me tell you i i, I sat in the press box at raymond james stadium and then the the, the bmw or, or the mercedes uh, stadium in, in uh, atlanta sat there for the game covered the game got up and got a, a Coca-Cola, came back, sat back at my at my little spot in the press box and interviewed players and coaches who were two floors b- below me without ever getting anywhere close to the locker room. I came back from those trips and I was like, this is silly. I can do this. I, I mean, uh, other than like picking up on like, oh, Christian McCaffrey just went in the injury or injury tent and tweeting that 20 seconds before the Fox broadcast showed it, there was just no benefit to it. I said, I can cover this from my couch. I hated it, um, but that's that, That's how we covered the rest of the, the, the season. And then practices, let me think. I guess we, we got to go out for the open part of practice for about 15, 20 minutes. They kept us way farther away than typical uh, out on this hill overlooking the practice field. Mm -hmm. And then same thing. I'd get in my car. I'd drive. Instead of going to the locker room, I'd drive home, get on my laptop, and do the Zoom interviews. And listen, everyone was doing it. It, 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 I I hated it. Uh, And that's why this year, looking forward to kind of breaking through that getting to know these players and telling their stories at a more intimate level again. Well, and Joe, here's the thing that people don't realize about the life that you have covering an NFL team, the NFL, there's really no more off season anymore because what happens is, and and you mentioned it when the pandemic hit last year, 
you had the owners meeting. So you would have traveled to that. Then you have the NFL draft. You would have covered that. Then you have May and you have OTAs in May. You get a little downtime in June, but then the end of July training camp starts and you're all in until if your team makes the playoffs and makes a run in the playoffs, you're in it till January, early February, several years ago. Uh, you, the team you cover, the Carolina Panthers, went to the Super Bowl. So you were, you know, out in California and then covering the Pro Bowl and things like that. From, from that standpoint, how did you adapt the lifestyle? Because, again, you get into that mode, you have to, where when it's, it's time to go, it's time to go. Now, all of a sudden, you're doing everything from home. You're, you're home during a time you should be on the road. What was that like for you to adjust to that? Because you have kids. I have, I have a son. You, you have teenagers. We've talked about that off, off podcast about our families. But how did you handle that internally? Were you grateful for that time? Or, or was, it, was there some internal conflict there for you? A little bit of both. You know, I think there were times that we all uh, in COVID got a little closer with families and had these moments that we would have missed out on. And, and I want to share one of those with you. And, and, and then I'll talk. And the downside, of course, was just, <laughs> and then after, you know, as you said, 17 months, we all couldn't stand each other living yeah. under the same house. I totally um, feel that, man. I totally feel that. That's why but, I've got it. That's why I've got a separate space with a podcast studio out here because I'm I'm telling you, my wife, if I were in the house doing this and doing all the other stuff, it would not be a good thing. So Yeah, we and 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 I was fortunate that I kind of sort of had my own space, but I will say this. So you know, and not that your listeners really care, but you and I have kids the same age, college age. And my daughter was back from what would have been, what, her freshman spring. So so spring of 20. And I'm up in my office. I've got a little couch futon up there. She's set up up there with me doing virtual classes from, from Wofford in Spartanburg, South Carolina. So I guess this would have been late May of 20. And I'm doing my thing, and I hear, I hear close her laptop, let out a sigh, and she said, Dad, I just finished my freshman semester <laughs> on my couch at home in my office. And that wow. was... Like that to me will always, I'll, I'll never forget that. It, it, and it just sort of defines how, what, what was for, for 17 months, the new normal. And we did like, we had some really cool family moments like that, that, that I, <laughs> I hated it for her that she wasn't off at college getting that kind of experience. But I was weirdly there for to, to, as she wrapped up her freshman semester of college, and I'm sure she was thrilled to spend her the uh, most of her sophomore year back away from mom and dad. Absolutely, absolutely. Let's step aside, take a break. When we come back, I want to talk to Joe about this upcoming season in the NFL because there's a lot of things that are happening. Um, you know, we'll, we'll talk Tom Brady. We'll talk the division that he covers. I want to give you a little bit of a sense of what a beat writer, kind of the things that, that they have in mind. Step aside, my buddy, Joe person, 
beat writer of the Carolina Panthers from The Athletic, joining me on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Come back in just a moment. Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now, what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers for words that you, as a business owner, can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy, Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e-commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value. So much so that he still has his first customers after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. Joe, let's talk now a little NFL, what you what you and I are both passionate about and in you see it up close and personal, and, and you said something really interesting a, a minute ago. You covered Teddy Bridgewater. He was with Carolina for a season. You never met him. He's now in Denver. The Carolina Panthers made a big move to bring in a guy named Sam Darnold to play quarterback. He was the quarterback in the New York Jets. Now he's a, a member of the Carolina Panthers. What is the excitement like in Charlotte and in, 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 the, in the area right now around the arrival of Sam Darnold, what the Panthers did on draft night in the number seven spot, um, where they were in the seven spot and they traded out of that. But what's the excitement like with Sam Darnold coming to town and the second year under Matt Rule? Yeah, so I would say cautiously optimistic and really more optimistic about the general kind of vibe of the defense and the return of, they hope, of a healthy Christian McCaffrey. The skepticism or, or w- would be around Darnold, whom, whom you mentioned. Uh, I mean, look, this guy, you know, very decorated college quarterback, Southern Cal, number three overall pick of the Jets three years ago. And he was just, just it didn't happen for him in New York. I mean, lots of turnovers. He was the NFL's lowest-rated passer last year in New York. At one point, you know, talked about seeing ghosts when when facing uh, an NFL defense. So, all of that being said, the Panthers were tr- were in on once they decided they were moving on from Teddy Bridgewater. They tried to get in on every quarterback, every established quarterback of note. That included uh, making an offer for Matthew Stafford, which, of course, the Rams uh, bested. It included very serious dialogue with the Houston Texans about Deshaun Watson before his situation kind of got derailed and he became toxic and and off the table, at least for this year. And so they were kind of left with, like, do we want one of these guys in the draft? As you said, they were picking in the top 10. They, they could have gotten a guy like Justin Fields at eight, but they, they decided to go ahead that they had, they basically said, look, if Sam, Sam Darnold's only 23 years old, he, if, 
you know, he could be in this draft, so to speak, as like a guy coming out of college at 23. If he were, how would we rank him? And they had him ranked above, obviously not guys like uh, Trevor Lawrence uh, and uh, Zach Wilson, but they had him ahead of Justin Fields and Mac Jones. And so they worked the deal with the Jets and we'll see. I mean, they're basically, they're, they're, Brian, they're, they're betting on two things that getting him out of, of, of Adam Gase's system, um, which of course I know they Gase isn't with the Jets anymore, but getting him out of that, that system where he did not flourish and getting him in Joe Brady's system surrounded by McCaffrey, DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson, who was with uh, Darnold in, in New York will help him turn his career around. And we've seen this before. Sometimes it worked when Ryan Tannehill, uh, and who was, by, uh, by the way, in the uh, struggled in the Adam Gase system. So yep. we'll see. I mean, it, it, is it a leap of faith? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but but I think where they come, where, where David Tepper comes in, he's like, you know what? If it doesn't work, then we're swinging for a quarterback again next year. Like they 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 will not be afraid to do with Darnold what they did with Teddy Bridgewater, and that is pay him to go away and not play for them anymore. And they and maybe they look at Deshaun Watson, depending on what happens with his situation a year from now. Well, you mentioned Joe Brady and and, and what he did at LSU in 2019 uh, with, with Steve Emsminger, the offensive coordinator, basically orchestrating the greatest offensive season by a quarterback, a guy named Joe Burrow, who I, I happen to be very fond of as the quarterback of my Cincinnati Bengals. But... Brady Brady had some acumen coming to Carolina and and a lot of people Joe thought well this guy this is a big leap you were kind of the co-offensive coordinator at LSU and now you're coming to run the offense for the Carolina Panthers but it wasn't that big of a leap man because they had pros at every position they had Clyde Edwards Alaire who the Chiefs drafted they had Justin Jefferson who the the Vikings drafted Thad Moss, who ended up in, in Cincinnati with Burrow, Jamar Chase, who ended up with, in Cincinnati with Burrow. I mean, they had pros at every position. How do you feel like, and, and I want to go here for just a minute before we transition away, how do you think Joe Brady has has acclimated himself to calling an offense at the NFL level? Yeah, I'll add to your LSU list, Terrace Marshall Jr., who's now with the Panthers after they yep. got him in the second round out of LSU. Um, Brady had a pretty, by, by, mo, by just about every standard, had a successful debut. They had a dynamic offense, one that had four different guys go over 1,000 uh, yards from scrimmage, which did not include Christian McCaffrey. Uh, which is pretty incredible. Yep. Um, they moved the ball. It was it was a creative offense. They got a guy, Curtis Samuel, who's no longer here, touched and touched the ball and scored the ball just about every way imaginable. What they were not effective at was they moved the ball between the twenties like like gangbusters. Then they get down in the red zone and they would kind of throttle down. And I think some of and, and they were not successful. They were one of the NFL's worst red zone teams. Um, I think not having McCaffrey down there in, in the scoring zone hurt a lot. That would hurt any team. 
But I also think Teddy Bridgewater, who is who, who's really his mo throughout his career, is not, not turning the ball over. Where rather than you know throw it into the end zone in a tight window, he would be content to check the ball down. Well, you're checking it down to somebody not named Christian McCaffrey, and more times than not, the field goal unit was coming on after that checkdown. Yeah, and so yeah, and, but. That's that being said, some of it has to fall on Joe Brady too. And I think um, I've heard Matt rule say this, that because they didn't have an OTA or a mini camp, or even really a full training camp as a first year coaching staff, they had to spend most of training camp, just putting in the base offense, just getting comfortable. And they did not, get a lot of time to work situations and games too they were were bad at end of games yeah let me jump in here that was kind of the sentiment in cincinnati with joe burrow because burrow had as you as you watched he had flashes of brilliance running that bengal offense again very similar they took a lot of concepts that joe brady and 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 steve emsminger had at lsu and said hey joe what do you like What, what what's what's good for you and, and again, I think that same thing happened in Cincinnati where there were a lot of times that Burrow was just trying to get it out of his hand. Now, granted, the offensive line in Carolina was a lot more stable than the offensive line in Cincinnati, and people have argued that point forever and a day up, up here. But again, I think there's a lot of similarities to what the Bengals did in 2020 and what the Carolina Panthers did as well. With with a lot of, you know, granted, Joe Burrow was the guy running the offense and Zach Taylor calling plays and Joe Brady calling plays in Carolina and Teddy Bridgewater, the quarterback. But there's a lot of similarities there as you were talking. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, I would be lying to you if I told you I watched a lot of Bengals tape. Um, they were not on the Panthers schedule. Well, I, yeah, not. I understand that. That wouldn't be your your flavor of choice. Would be watching Bengals tape. I'll take your word for it. I I did watch. You know, I saw Burrow, Burrow's highlights. I was, uh, you know, I was impressed with him coming out of school and all that. But just just kind of a final note on Joe Brady. Like, first of all, another William and Mary alumni like myself. Yeah, uh, we're going to get into that in just a minute. So just with a whole bunch of years between us, um, he had five interviews after his first season as a play caller, not in the NFL. I mean, you said he and Ensminger split uh, play calling responsibility. First season ever, uh, he called plays on his own full time. He gets five head coaching interviews in the NFL. This guy is not long for the job. People have, you know, everybody. You know, we, we saw it with, with Sean McVay. Like, you know, everyone wants the next hot offensive coach. You, the Bengals are hoping they've got one in Cincinnati. And, who, and, and you know, I, we've seen some defensive coaches get hired. Um, Vic Fangio, of course. Robert Salah in, with the Jets. But Joe Brady is going to be a head coach. If not, I, I think it'll probably happen after this season. If yeah. not. Definitely after the 22 season. Well, and another guy, uh, and again, we're going to get to your story just in just a minute. Another guy I would add to that list is Byron Leftwich, Marshall University's Byron Leftwich. He is yes. he is a very hot commodity. And and Joe, you know, the talk up here was when Marshall had a coaching change, the dream candidate was Byron Leftwich. The problem was Marshall wasn't going to pay 
a guy NFL money, whether it was Byron or or Chad Pennington or whoever it was, they just weren't going to be able to compete. But but I would throw Byron Leftwich right in that in that same category with Joe Brady. Hey, let's step aside and take a break. I want to get into Joe Person's story, talk about how he began his career as a writer, his athletic career as well, and uh, really dive into the to the the man behind the voice that you're hearing, Joe Person from the athletic beat writer of the Carolina Panthers, my guest on the Intentional Encourager podcast back in just a moment. Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton. want to tell you about my new book, People Buy From People, 10 Powerful People Lessons from the Ultimate People Person, my dad. My dad was one of the greatest connectors that I ever knew. And he shared with me 10 connecting principles that I have used throughout my 25-year sales and sales management, customer engagement, and leadership career that I'm passing along to you. If you want to be a stronger, deeper, and more powerful connector, you've got to pick up a copy of People Buy From People. There are concepts in there that you may not realize help make you a power connector. You can go to Amazon and pick it up. Kindle, if you're an e-reader and you like to do it that way, or now available on Audible. And there's one other way you can get a copy of People Buy From People. You can get one from me and I'll sign it for you. You go to intentionalmediaandpublishing at gmail.com and send me an email and I'll share with you the link on how you can get a signed copy. You can buy a signed copy directly from me. Again, People Buy From People. If you want to connect like never before, pick up your copy today of People buy from people. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Joe, I want to get into your story, man. I met you almost 30 years ago at at a newspaper we both worked at in Huntington, West Virginia. So man, in in the few minutes that we have remaining, kind of walk me through your story from from point A to, to now and just kind of tell folks about about your life and your career. Well, I grew up in uh, the, the birthplace of, of Little League Baseball in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Yeah, so your I, accent doesn't resemble a Charlotte accent at all. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, I was from God's country, Pennsylvania, and baseball still – very dear to me, as I said at the top here, taking a couple kids to a baseball tournament. Um, I went and played football at William & Mary with Mike Tomlin, was was there at the same time, which was a real privilege. And uh, Mike Tomlin, like the head he, coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, longtime head yeah, coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's right. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and then, I, then, as you said, my first, my first journalism deal out of school was in Huntington, which was a fantastic opportunity. Uh, moved over there not knowing anybody. Uh, I got you know started off, of course, uh, with with you doing a lot of high school sports, and then was able to help some of uh, the, our esteemed college writers help out from, with the Marshall coverage, and then kind of moved south into Georgia. Uh, was with a with at the Atlanta paper briefly during the Olympics. And then covered Georgia Tech for the Macon newspaper, and just went out. What that kind of led to covering the Gamecocks uh, of South Carolina in Columbia, 
uh, again, all newspapers to that point. And that was an interesting deal. Uh, you know, I got to cover two coaching legends back to back the last several years of Lou Holtz and the first several years of, of Steve Spurrier coming back to the college game at South Carolina. So <laughs> they were two different dudes, two different guys, but uh, enjoyed my time there in South Carolina and then just kind of came up the road to Charlotte. I had an opportunity to come to the Charlotte Observer. Uh, they were in the same chain as, as Columbia and, and uh, it made a lot of sense to kind of make that next step. And then uh, more recently, I guess three years ago, had the opportunity to go to the athletic and, and still continue to cover the Panthers for a, you know, kind of a uh, forward thinking online only company that really stresses storytelling and mm -hmm. not worrying so much about the minutia of transactions or ankle injuries uh, unless they happen to uh, take place to the all pro running back Christian McCaffrey, then yep. we worry about it, but it's been fun. It's been a good journey, man. I, it, I've seen a lot of changes over the years, but that that's the quick, that that's the uh, abridged version, man. I got to ask you when you were playing college football, you, you, you said you grew up in Pennsylvania. Did you entertain playing sports in college or was that just, you mentioned your love of baseball but you went to William and Mary to play football. How did that all kind of come about for you head, heading down to Williamsburg? Was that just something that always had been in the back of your mind to play at the collegiate level, play something collegiately? You know, there's a story I'm going to write one day, um, maybe a book. I don't know. There was a kid my freshman year at Williamsport High School, home of the millionaires, by the way, still yep. one of the best nicknames in the country. There was a senior named Kevin Carter, who was a six foot five, 225 pound tight end, getting recruited by all the Big East schools who, incidentally, uh, buddy, went to West Virginia on scholarship. Yep. Uh, the Don Nealon years, I'm sure. Well, I was this freshman playing the same position as Kevin Carter. And I, you know, you'd hear like a buzz in the freshman locker room, like, oh, Maryland was here today checking out Kevin Carter or Penn State uh, sent one of their assistant coaches to, to, to our game last week to look at Carter. And that man walked on water in my eyes through the halls of Williamsport High School. And I just got to thinking like, wow, like this sport that I, that I, you know, that I'm get just sort of diving into as a tight end, you know, that could get you a college scholarship and the adulation and all, all that went with it. And I just, that was, that became my goal. And it was, I mean, obviously, you know this, you're probably most of your listeners do, that there are a lot more scholarships available in football, 85 at Division One, even 63 at one what was used to be 1AA, yeah. compared to 11.7 in baseball. So I kind of realized early on, and, and while I did not become, uh, a, you know, a, a Big East target, um, I went to a school at a one double a school that played a lot of those schools during my time. I had to play Virginia, North Carolina, Virginia, a couple times, uh, mm -hmm. Georgia, Navy, uh, 
It was great. And every time, buddy, we played those schools, I knew I made the right decision playing that yeah. half a level below. Did you did you just was journalism kind of always something in your blood? Because I remember years ago and, and this just stuck out to me for some reason. I, I think you mentioned to me one time and correct me if I'm wrong, because, you know, the older we get, the, the, the memory is not as good as it, it once was. But wasn't it your dream to write for Sports Illustrated? Didn't wasn't that ultimately what you wanted to do with with a journalism career? Yeah, well, I I read a lot of Sports Illustrated. I have them like a lot of sports kids are in our our age and our vintage. I had them stacked up behind you know like next to my bed at, in my little bedroom in Pennsylvania. Um, yeah, that was they were the they were the pinnacle. And uh, I also, and I'm sure I've told you this over the years, but I was fortunate enough to, to be uh, from a newspaper family. My grandfather was the president and publisher of my hometown paper. So about halfway through my college career, my dad, who was, was not in the, in the industry, he was, he was an attorney, but he said, you know, your grandfather's going to be retiring here before too long. If you want to do an internship at your hometown paper, this might be a great opportunity. Yeah. And I took him up on it and it was, I got great experience. Uh, and, and really that from there, from there, buddy, it was kind of like finding a way to marry my sports interests with my writing interests and it, it just seemed like a no-brainer i was so fortunate to to have these opportunities i've had let me ask you this joe what if you could go back let, let's say you could go back and, and 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 have a cup of coffee with 23 year old joe person and and really just sit down and go hey man let me give you some good advice life advice professional advice because i've thought about it for myself i thought you know and my wife and i'll be married 25 years this year I, i've thought often man i'd really like to sit down with myself 25 years ago and say man you have no clue what this is about have you ever thought about what you would say to 23 year old joe person if you could go back and, and you know we were at jim's spaghetti house in huntington you could sit across the table <laughs> from from that joe have you ever thought about the advice you would have given yourself if you could have? I probably would have said, don't spend so much time at the Huntington YMCA playing basketball. Get out on the get out on the driving range and learn how to play a sport that you might still want to play into your 50s. Because uh, now I'm terrible at golf and I never want to play as a result. Yeah. Um, that, I, I, I well, I'm not really joking, but on a, on a more serious note, um, probably not to be in such a hurry to make the next move. Like, I remember in Huntington, there were a bunch of young writers, uh, good ones, that, um, that would come in. There was a young editor named Randy Hammer who had a reputation for, for being a good kind of sculptor and, and molder of young journalists. And, uh, and, and so, you know, I just remember loving that opportunity in Huntington, but also like in the next breath, like, okay, what's my next move? Where am I going from here? 
And yeah. same thing when I got to Atlanta. Um, and it really kind of took until I got to Columbia, South Carolina, to where it's like, all right, you know what? There is a real value in kind of establishing roots and not having to move all the time and, you know, becoming a, a real authority on, on a beat as opposed to, yeah, he's a pretty good writer, but, you know, he wasn't here very long. He doesn't, he doesn't know Marshall like these other guys or he, yeah. he's not uh, as, as in tune with Georgia Tech as, as if he'd been, if he'd stayed a little longer. And I used to think there was a shelf life on some of these beats that after a while, Steve Spurg gets sick of me. I'd get, you know, tired of some of their quirks. And I do think that's still the case. I've been fortunate that the Panthers, first of all, had a terrific guy as head coach I was covering in Ron Rivera. And then now they have a new one. So it's like I'm starting fresh all over again. And I don't know if that really did a nice job of answering your question, but that's what I No, thought. no, I, I've got a couple more, if you don't mind. I, I want to ask you a couple more because I want to pull a little, just a little more conversation real you quick in, in the remaining time that we have. Joe, take me through the biggest obstacle in either your career or your life. And what was the lesson you over that you learned from it? Because you cover athletes that, you know, in, in, a, in a play. And I've told people before, the NFL is a one-play league. Your whole life, career, everything can change in one play. You can have a, a devastating injury, things like that, and, and have to overcome that, that obstacle. What was one of the biggest obstacles or the biggest obstacle in your life or career, and how did you overcome it? Man, you should have told me you were going to get deep here. I would have done more re uh, <laughs> done <laughs> Talking to a guy that tells stories for a living and, and, you know, I mean, you ask great questions of people all the time. I just, I wanted to. No, to it's, a, it's a terrific question. I'm just racking my brain to give you a decent answer. Um, oh, boy. I just. I guess I would say in terms of obstacle, I mean, first of all, I have been very, very fortunate to, you know, have a terrific family, uh, of, you know, a wife of, of 20 odd years, three kids. Um, I don't know why I'm bringing this up. It was tough a little bit, you know, kind of watching the end of my parents' marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I remember coming back from, it was my first year of William and Mary and my dad was there to greet me at the, just like he always would be. Uh, the, the guy from my hometown dropped me off at the door and then, and then they kind of hit me with the bombshell and said, you know, dad's not really living here anymore. He came up today just to, you know, to tell you, uh, you know, to tell you that in person that, that, you know, we're getting a divorce mm -hmm. and that was, that was hard. I, you know, I hate to point to that because there was, you know, some people go through so much more, but I, I will say this. I am so thankful that, um, 30 odd years later, 
both of my parents are in a great place, um, healthy, happy, you know, both got married again and, and they're buddies, they're friends. <laughs> and mm-hmm. like we have, we have uh, family holiday stuff now. I was at Thanksgiving dinner a couple of years ago at, at Litchfield Beach, South Carolina. And my dad said something like, I must be one of the only guys who uh, can have Thanksgiving dinner with his wife and his ex-wife. And, and I'm grateful for that, uh, that, that, you know, both, both my parents are, are happy and, and, and in a good place together and, and, and all that. Man, that's awesome. Real quick, share with me in this audience, your biggest piece of intentional encouragement, something that has sustained you kind of through those rough periods, because everybody, you know, you're, you're, you're a dad, you're a husband and you've got a demanding job, man. Like we talked about earlier, you've got a pretty demanding job. What, what's your biggest piece of intentional encouragement for folks out there that are like, man, Joe, I've been listening to you and I, I feel you, you know, I, I, you know, I, I've got a lot of demands on me as well too. What, what's something that you would leave them to, to encourage them and, and kind of help them, you know, kind of make sense of some things. I'm, a big believer in forgiveness. Um, <laughs> my wife and I are always apologizing to each other. And Same honey, here, was, buddy. Same you know, here. <laughs> it, it's hard. It's hard, man. But I, I relate this back, kind of try to tie it up in a nice bow here. Back to my parents. So... They, uh, about three years after that, their divorce, three or four, his brother very tragically died way too young of, of cancer. And we were all kind of making arrangements. I, me from Huntington, my sister's from, I think my one was at Wake Forest at the time. Anyway, getting back up to Pennsylvania, going to, for, for this funeral and this horrible time for, for my dad's family. And I remember talking to my mom and she's like, well, I don't think I should go. I'm, you know, I, I don't want to be there around your dad. And, and I said, listen, I said, life's too short. I mean, be there for Dave was, was my uncle's name. Be there for Dave and be there for your former in-laws who, who are grieving. And she said, you know, you're right. It is, life is too short. And. If, if you go on holding grudges, then before you know it, you're going to turn around and someone that, that you should have apologized to or you should have shown forgiveness to is going to be gone. And yeah. that conversation's not taking place. And that would be, that would be probably what I would, would share with, with your, your listeners. Man, buddy. I cannot thank you enough. I've been wanting to do this for a while and, and make our schedules connect and, and you taking time to do this, man. I really appreciate it. Tell folks how they can connect with you, get, get your work, um, how they can subscribe to the athletic. I would highly encourage you to do that. Just tell folks how they can get more of your content. I appreciate that. Yeah. So I'm on Twitter and it's at Joseph person. And 
post all my story links on there. Uh, occasionally tweet about Little League Baseball or the Phillies. Um, but through those story links would be if, if anyone is interested in, in subscribing, you, you click on one of those story links and you can read. I appreciate you having me on, man. We, we've been friends a long time. I was telling my wife that I've lost touch with a lot of folks from that West Virginia chapter. And I'm very thankful that, that you and I have, have maintained a friendship. Absolutely, man. And, and, uh, that you can find him again, find him on Twitter at Joseph person, J O S E P H P E R S O N Joseph person. Or if you just put in the search bar, Joe person, a lot of his content will come up. I highly encourage it. And man, by the way, I, I got to tell you this. Every time I hear a Kenny Loggins song, I think about you, man. <laughs> I didn't remember being a huge Kenny Loggins fan, but I, I, I won't duck it. I, I like some cheesy 80s and early 90s music, no doubt about it. Well, there was a magical night at the Herald-Dispatch that, uh, that Joe revealed his fandom of Kenny Loggins, and uh, we'll leave that story for another time. And every time I hear Kenny Loggins or see the name Kenny Loggins, that story immediately flashes to my mind. Joe Person, you're the best, brother. I appreciate you. Hey, you take care, and thanks again, man. I appreciate Joe Person being on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Thanks a bunch for listening. And remember, get encouraged and stay encouraged. My thanks, as always, to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And, of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.